Hello, this is Alexander Siddig, and you're listening to Neil Before Pod, and don't tune out. Neil Before Blog presents... Neil Before Pod. Welcome to another galaxy-hopping episode of Neil Before Pod. I'm your host Craig and I'm investigating the sudden appearance of the second season of Star Trek Discovery. But first, I need to beam aboard a podcaster in distress. So, on my travels, I received a distress call from a fellow podcast and had to beam aboard the only survivor. So, uh, I believe his name is Lee. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks for having me, Craig. Uh, I'm a fan of the podcast, so it's a a pleasure to to join you here today. Well, it was just lucky that I happened by because, you know, distress calls aren't often answered. If we're going by a a certain TV show, then usually when an alarm has been answered, I think I'm going to take command of your your podcast now. (laughs) Well, it's about time someone did. <laughs> yeah, so before we begin, just tell us a bit about you. Um, you didn't pop into the universe on this podcast, so what do you do? Where are you from? Yeah, in my kind of personal personal life outside of my, my working life, I, I co-host and co-produce two podcasts. So I produce uh, Filibuster, which is a film podcast where we kind of look at indie cinema, film festivals, interviews kind of a bit of everything and always something a bit different each week and recently um seven episodes deep into a brand new podcast called the a24 project so well you guys have got you know the the nerd base all covered here and with something like the a24 project we focus on sort of independent cinema there and um original films sort of like your lady birds spring breakers the witch movies that have been distributed by the company a24 so that's been really exciting we seem to be getting good uh good traction on that so yeah it's been it's, it's good fun to kind of podcast so coming on to this is always a, a treat to to come on to a show like this where i'm not having to do the editing i'm not having to do the hosting um it's it's a nice change yeah, it's good to sit in the peanut gallery just heckling. Exactly. So this A24 project, is this uh, officially sanctioned by them or is it just a... Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, it's just a fan podcast. So um, they have their own podcast, but they uh, get people like, say, Greg Gerwig, Jason Schwartzman to come on, talk about life and cinema and don't really touch upon their films. Um, and what we do is we review two A24 movies at a time every two weeks. So it's pretty exciting for us. I mean, this year um, we'll probably be... We're still quite a few years away from getting anywhere remotely close to their current um, output 
output, but you know we've got three kind of A twenty four movies on the horizon here in Scotland, um, kind of mid nineties and eighth grade will be at the Glasgow Film Festival, and then we've got Under the Silver Lake coming out in March. So it's kind of an exciting time for our fans of kind of A twenty four films. Cool. And where can listeners find uh, find you if they so wish? Yeah, you can find us anywhere you sort of download your podcast. So that's your iTunes, Spotify, Spreaker, you know, anything that comes under that. And um, you can find us also on the, the Nerd Party Network, so thenerdparty.com. So there's a, a huge amount of podcasts on there. So we have something like Nerd Nuptial, where it's a husband and wife talk about their geeky geeky loves and passions. There's Star Wars, Doctor Who, Harry Potter podcast. There's a podcast that um, called Missing Frames, where it's all about watching those movies that we should have watched by now. I recently was a guest on that as well. I haven't watched Highlander, which is a shock for probably uh, for being a Scottish man. So finally watched that this week and I've never had so much grief from people on Twitter before for saying I've never watched a movie. So yeah, we we can be found there with a a whole load of other great shows. Cool. And is there a Twitter handle that people could approach you and and hurl abuse? Yeah. Yeah, you can you can hurl abuse at me at Lee underscore Nostromo and you can find our podcast and um, Twitter as well at Join Nerd Party. Cool. And everything will be linked in the show notes. Um, for people who like to read the show notes. If not, listen to what was said and then just go there. Uh, I can confirm as a, uh, an occasional listener, um, it's a good podcast. So I'd recommend checking out the, well, the, um, what's it, the filibuster one anyway. I haven't listened to the 24 one, I'll confess. It's the ultimate film hipster podcast. You're, <laughs> you know, you're just not, you're not just uh, hip enough to get, to listen to that. It's okay, I understand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the tagline. <laughs> just the tagline, the ultimate film hipster podcast. Cool. Right, so we are here to talk about some Star Trek, but before that, we you can uh, indulge in our little fun feature, Kneel Before and Rise Against. So as the guest, I'll let you go first in case I've stolen anything that you want to talk about. So uh, what would you like to kneel before? What do you like? Uh, it's kind of a, it's been... Yeah, it's been kind of exciting this week because um, it feels like it's been one of those weeks where people will talk about this, where, you know, you think of the 90s, we had Ants in a Bug's Life, we had Deep Impact, Armageddon. Uh, This week, we have had two documentaries on the Fire Music Festival land uh, online, one on Netflix, one on Hulu in America, and they seem to have kind of exploded the internet. And I must admit, I've got completely engaged in this music festival uh, documentary binge. So um, for those not familiar with it, the Fire Festival kicked off a few years ago and I'm sure everyone has seen that famous picture of a couple slices of bread with some plastic cheese on it and a bit of salad. This was meant to be like the biggest high-end music festival in the world on a Caribbean island, but reality didn't quite match the the social media buzz that was going for it. And it was fantastic this week because there was not one, but two documentaries that were seen released. So um, it was quite fascinating to watch and compare the two. And it was kind of like a millennial Jaws in a way that you're watching this music festival absolutely having a disaster. And it's like two weeks to go one week to go it's like two days to go and it's like torrential rain and then like you have all these instagram influencers arrive on the island and see that their tents are in these villas that they were promised but in, in fact hurricane relief places um it was it was really good the the documentaries are both a little bit different and um, the hulu one for example has interviews with the, the the head organizer of this and it's more focused on sort of the millennial culture that kind of allows things like this to happen and the netflix one is more focused on the build up to the event and it was actually created by the guys who 
kind of covered the social media for for the the fire festival they were recruited to do it so then they have now turned around and uh, ultimately through the whole festival under the the bus with their their scathing documentary it's it's really worth well worth checking out um i'm a, a letterboxed fiend and i think i i saw everyone that i know or follow checked in on this documentary at the weekend and some of the the content on social media ripping the piss out of the event has been uh, absolutely hysterical um, it sounds like you get a pretty complete picture then between the two of them. Yeah, you do. It would be great, like if you had heard more from sort of the influencers about their reaction to landing on this island and everything that you know they had kind of built up and hyped it up to be, and then what the reality was like for them as it came crashing down would have been interesting. But I'm all for a third documentary. Uh, you know, two. As I say, the fact that we've got two in a week is unbelievable. It's been it's quite surreal. Or the sort of fictional. Um, Hollywood film version that stars some hot young stars and starlets. Yeah, I can only wonder who will play Ja Rule in the the, the film version of it. Yeah, well, it, it could happen or we maybe put the idea in someone's head so that's possibly concerning. Uh, so, sounds good. Check that out if you have time. Um, how do you get Hulu in the UK? <clears throat> you know, sometimes you've got to, uh, if you don't have an option to access this documentary through any other way or rent it or buy it, sometimes you've got to be a little creative, I suppose. Well, I fly to the US every week to watch DC TV shows. Oh, there there you go. See, I'm surprised we didn't bump into each other on the same flight. <laughs> yeah, so my nail before is uh, Reign of the Superman, the recent DC animated film. Uh, I had the pleasure of seeing it in the cinema. It had its one-night-only release where it doubled up with the Death of Superman film. Watching them together was, was great. It's head and shoulders above anything Superman-wise that the, the DC live-action films have put out of late. And this is speaking of someone that likes Man of Steel. I think. I mean, I'll defend that until the death of me, I guess, because Henry Cavill will not die before me. Um but yeah, I liked it. I love the DC animated output. I think that it's made by people that are kind of passionate about the characters, that know what they're doing with them, uh, know how to, you know, know how to tell the stories, know how to adapt them. And Reign of the Superman is a lot of fun. It's got Rain Wilson voicing Lex Luthor, and he's really good. It's got kind of a slightly obnoxious, but not too obnoxious version of Superboy. So I'd recommend checking it out, but not before you've seen the first part. I completely these passed me by. I did see them kind of on on uh, offer on the Cineworld website. And I was like, oh, I could maybe go along to that. But I'm just not a Superman fan at all. So I, I was like, nah, it's a pass for me. There it is. A lot of people don't like him. Um, I think he needs a better press agent. Which is ironic because he writes stories about himself in, in his film, usually. <laughs> yeah. So that's mine. Uh, I enjoyed it. I would recommend checking it out if you can get a hold of it, which shouldn't be too hard. Now on to Rise Against. What are you not enjoying? I am currently quite heartbroken at the moment. I, um, As I mentioned, I have a podcast called The A24 Project and I have been waiting for a, just shy of a year now to see the movie 8th Grade. It is one of my most anticipated films. It was I unfortunately missed it at the Sundance London last year. I never got all sorted in time, wasn't able to go, so I missed it there. And I thought, oh, you know what, it won't be too long before it comes to the UK. These things, you know, they often come quite quickly. And I'm still waiting, still waiting. And it, then it's been announced um, at the sort of turn of the year that it's going to be released on the same day as Avengers Endgame. So it's going oh. to be the... Um, it's going to be the... Um, 
you know the kind of programming on that day yeah. but i had it in my i was had my fingers crossed this whole time i was like you know what they might play it at Glasgow. They might play it at Glasgow Film Festival. And this week that they've announced, oh my God, they're going to be playing eighth grade two nights. Bo Burnham, the writer-director, the American comedian, is coming all the way to Glasgow to introduce it, give a talk on it, which is like blowing my mind. I'm like, this has been worth all the wait. <laughs> and then I look at the dates and I'm. it's like Thursday the 28th and Saturday the 1st of March. And on Thursday the 28th, I agreed, you know what? I'm going to fly down to London on Thursday, that Thursday evening, and I'm going to go see my catch up with some family down there, uh, you know, a day early. Yeah, why not? I'll go after work. So I'm missing that one. And then on the first, I'm seeing Hamilton for the second time. So I have, again, missed the second opportunity to see eighth grade. So I'm currently having the most middle class crisis about missing eighth grade. (laughs) I mean, you could flip it to be about sort of delayed release dates and you know, how those still happen in this modern era. I know, it's absolutely ridiculous uh, that we've waited this long. I mean, it's been out on Blu-ray already, it's kind of streaming, it's it's crazy, and like, I'm one of the people that believes kind of cinema is the key, so I'm kind of waiting and waiting to see it in the cinema, but, you know, I'm forever being <laughs> sort of cock-blocked from seeing this movie. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of the same when it comes to cinema releases. If I can see something in the cinema, then I'd I will make every effort to do so. Uh, Obviously, you can't see everything, but um, I think it is a better experience. Plus, it does encourage me to actually watch it. When I went to see Outlaw King at Filmhouse, um, I kind of saw it because I made the effort to go out of the house and watch it, whereas with it sitting on Netflix, able to watch whenever I feel like it, you know, I might just never feel like it. You know, sometimes I feel like it's good to block out that period of time in your day to go somewhere and experience something. Plus, the big screen experience is always good. Yeah, Outlaw King was a brilliant film to catch on the big screen, and I think particularly for with an audience as well. So, yeah, it was definitely worth the wait for for seeing something like that. Yeah. So, my rise against is the fact that the, they're planning a Harley Quinn trilogy, apparently. I mean, can we just stop with this? They, it seems like every other week they keep announcing that Harley Quinn's going to be in some other film. So she just keeps turning up in various other projects and it's hard to tell whether this is the same project that they just keep changing or whether it's different projects. But I think they just want to keep Margot Robbie busy as that character until she dies, which, you know, will be a long way off. But they, uh, and a trilogy about this character, I'm not sure she's interesting enough to carry a trilogy. No, um, I just don't understand the point of making a trilogy. I think for whether you love DC or, you know, have your issues with the DCEU or whatever, like, you know, they've, they've had problems when they've, try to jam too much in or plan too far ahead it's sort of fallen on its kind of kind of knees and i don't think the idea of a harley quinn trilogy should be kind of uh right we're definitely making three why don't you make one you've maybe got a plan in mind for a couple and just see where it goes it seems completely unnecessary and margot robbie's too good an actress to be sort of wasting her time on three of these in a row yeah yeah just uh chill out make a good film do do a wonder woman make something that's worth watching and then see how it goes yeah, that's yeah. They're they're no, they'll never learn. It's like Sony, you know. Whenever they find something good, they just then look to ruin it immediately afterwards. Sounds like me in a relationship. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like me in pretty much anything. <laughs> yeah. yeah, ice cream. Oh, I find out a good ice cream, then I ruin it by eating too much of it, which is a weird analogy. But um, <laughs> yeah, well, I, I approve. <laughs> Okay, so that's that. Uh, we got to talk about something that's not Star Trek for a little while, so that was something. 
Now on to Star Trek. So what's your connection to the franchise and what did you think of Discovery Season 1? Yeah, like my kind of connection, I'm 31, probably not too far off three decades as a fan. Um, I remembered watching it back in the day on the BBC, then Sky, and I, I've just always loved Trek. I mean, I grew up with the next generation loving that. I always remembered I was going to go see Generations at the cinema in, what was it, 94? No, it was 95 in the UK. Um, but unfortunately, I had a case of diarrhea, so my oh, first Star Trek movie had to be First Contact a few years later. I was 10 at the time, and my dad took me after school all the way to Aberdeen, which was like 35 miles away to see First Contact. So <laughs> that was the first one I got to ever see in this, the the big screen, and it was a you know a pretty special experience. And, you know, uh, Deep Space Nine is my favourite, and, you know, it kind of hit me at the right age. I was sort of 10 or so at the time when it really kind of kicked in with things like sort of the the Klingon War and the Dominion War. It, that was the, it felt like TV for a sort of adolescence at the time where something like Voyager was pretty kid-friendly and I thought it was pretty poor. The Next Generation I enjoyed a lot, but Deep Space Nine felt like it was just, you know, it was really cool. It was badass and, you know, I, I think so highly of it. And um, yeah, like when Discovery was announced, I was I was just so excited for it. And I'm a positive Star Trek fan. I I think I'm not a sycophant or anything like that. I, you know, I I say if there's a problem or I disagree with things or I try not to get too wrapped up in it. But I I really enjoyed season one. I mean, it certainly had its its challenges. And I mean, pretty much every Star Trek series in its first year maybe apart from the original series for the most part have had its difficulties in front of and behind the camera but I really enjoyed it and it was really you know I think you can get caught up in all the tech and the advanced technology side and canon issues or whatever but I just thought it was really fantastic TV I thought Jason Isaacs was great and um, you know you, we've got such an incredible cast there in that show I mean I, you, I can't believe how lucky we are to have some of these people you know Doug Jones Anthony Rapp Wilson Cruz you know all these people are fantastic and um, yeah I really enjoyed it I had some issues here and there but for the most part, I was happy to have Star Trek back on the, the TV screen weekly, something new to, to get in. And um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And um, I'm curious to see where they're going to go with the, the second season. What about for yourself? Uh, well, I'm a huge Star Trek fan, just like yourself. Uh, I've been, yeah, since before I can remember, I've been watching Star Trek and it kind of foisted on me at a young age. Listeners to this po- podcast will, will have heard me wax lyrical about all this before. And uh, I've absolutely loved it. You know, it's one of those things where. I can just go and watch a random episode of of something, you know, at just any point where I've got some time to kill, I'll just be like, here's an episode of TNG, stick it on, let it wash over me, because it's just one of those endlessly rewatchable things. Uh, TNG is my favourite, although I do recognise that Deep Space Nine probably had a, you know, more consistent sort of through line uh, in terms of the way they were telling stories and and stuff. But uh, you know, there's something about the kind of exploration angle that, that I'll always love. And uh, it's curious that I don't like Voyager that much as a result because it's, you know, it is that, but I think they dropped the ball in so many other ways. And, you know, I love Enterprise, especially in its last two years. First mm-hmm. two years, I mean, we can just sort of forget about them. But the the last two years, I liked it. Discovery Season 1, uh, really enjoyed it. I thought it was a nice update of the, the franchise. Um, turns out I'm not one of those fans that really cared about the kind of design aesthetic being slavishly recreating the um, the original series aesthetic which you know if if that bothers you then fine i'm not going to argue with someone that says that they can't deal with that because they think that star trek should look a certain way and 
I can understand that mentality, but I was all for the updated visuals because it would be really jarring to see them go back to using buttons and you know all that stuff when um, we have touch screens and all that stuff now. So there's you know it'd be a weird downgrade if you think about it. Hmm. Um, but I liked it. Jason Isaacs, as you say, was excellent. The cast are really good. Um, although I did have someone say that if you don't like Michael Burnham, you'll struggle because she's the main character. So if you end up taking a dislike to her for whatever reason, you might struggle to follow it. Whereas other Star Trek shows, there was a range of characters to latch onto without a distinct main. So Yeah, I've heard that argument as well about kind of Burnham. And I think it can be quite interesting because Sonika Martin-Green, I've seen her at sort of a convention and stuff, and she is, she's full of beans. She's, you know, she's really good. And, um, you know, I, I like Michael Burnham, but she's not my favourite character in the show. But even though she is the, the lead, I think there's a, you know, in the kind of the football analogy, you know, there's a lot of captains in that, that field there. I mean, Anthony Rapp, Doug Jones, you know, you have so many great actors and great characters there that if, you know, Michael Burnham isn't kind of doing it for you one week, well, it's probably that Sylvia Tilly will probably be doing it for you that one or Paul Stamets you know it's such a great cast and you know Michelle Yeoh I mean I can't believe I forgot her she was one of my favourite Bond girls at the in the 90s so yeah it was a real treat to kind of have a cast like this where you know you don't have to necessarily rely on, on one person necessarily to carry your interest I mean I think uh, Captain Picard is probably one of my favourite characters and you know same with Ben Sisko that first season each for them wasn't quite on board with them and that but they got better as the show went on and I can certainly see that being the case with, with Burnham for sure but you know she certainly delivers a, a cracking monologue yeah and they may sort of drift into a more ensemble based type of storytelling which means that you know those characters that you do like if you don't like her will get more focus uh, which seems to be happening at this point sort of in, in season 2 they seem to be opening it up a little bit at least so far yeah it's kind of hard to tell because I think it seems to be sort of like hey we've got this great cast but you know someone like you know Paul Stamets is maybe gets a sort of scene in it and Doug Jones as Saru gets a couple moments in this one so it definitely feels like kind of a you know an ensemble piece but I think that's kind of the point I mean Star Trek's always been that way I mean you have the the figurehead of the show whether it's a Michael Burnham or a Cisco but at the same time you've always got these great characters and I think what makes something like say Deep Space Nine and I think Next Generation did it quite well at times you know rarer was that you have a great backing characters as well and you know it'll be interesting to see who all kind of pops in in season two you know um ash tyler and you know michelle you all these kind of characters all dripping as well and i think that's the strength of deep space nine and hopefully discovery as well that you have these great characters and you can kind of mix up one week's it's a saru episode it's a stamets episode and each one's always going to be as exciting it's not going to be like oh it's a Diana Troy episode this week or oh it's a maybe a Jake Sisko episode you know I, I enjoyed some Jake Sisko episodes I must admit but you know some people have different opinions so you know I, I think we've got a lot to be excited for here and I think it's clear that the bridge crew are going to be a bit more involved this year which was something I kind of hoped for in season one and I think we'll we'll certainly see a bit more of say uh, Kayla and uh, Reese, for example so I'm curious to see where we go yeah so what did you think of the first episode of the season? Kind of keep it spoiler free at the moment. We'll go to Black Alert uh, after that and, and dig more f- deeply into it. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit and stuff. I mean, the problem for the, you know, for this part is that Star Trek Discovery is such a serialised show that I enjoyed the episode and it might 
be enhanced by what's to come with this sort of Red Angel storyline and Spock storyline that is still to be introduced. I am I really enjoyed the character moments of of this episode, and I, th- I enjoyed it a bit more in the second time than the first time. The first time I was like, yeah, this that was a really good hour of television. I'm curious to see where it goes next, and I think that sometimes the the drawback with sort of serialized TV, perhaps like this, is that you can enjoy an episode, but you're already thinking, ooh. I wonder what's going to happen in the next episode and you're not perhaps reflecting on it going oh that was a really good 45 minutes of tv i enjoyed that plot line it had a really good ending whereas this it's sort of a a bit in flux at the moment it started some things where does it go next you know not much has really been been kind of concluded at the end of this episode it certainly started things off so uh, yeah i know that's a bit of a cop out but it's a, a wait and see for me yeah, I loved this episode. Um, I was fully on board right from the beginning. I thought Pike was great. I thought the... I mean, it certainly felt a bit more confident, a bit more energetic. Uh, whereas in season one, they're, they're kind of stumbling around trying to find a tone that works for them, trying to find a setup that works for them, which most shows will do in their first season, let's face it. But this is the promise of a much lighter, more exploration-focused season. Although it is easy... F- or it's maybe not easy to forget that not a lot actually happens in the episode in terms of broad plot stuff. You kind of get the the introduction of a couple of mysteries without anything really happening. So they, oh, the the plot is they go somewhere and uh, don't find what they're looking for, so they have to go somewhere else next. So that's maybe the the serialization could result in you know the everything builds on everything else, or maybe it will just be weeks of reminding us that they're not finding anything until you get these key episodes where they find something of significance. Uh, you know, like the Enterprise model with the Temporal Cold War, whereas every now and again you'd get an episode that was about that and pretended to move the plot forward when it really didn't. Mm. Um, but, no, I loved it. Um, and I can't wait to see more. It's one of those, I want to see the next one right away, right away, right away. You know, and um, Yeah, it's just great to have Star Trek back. Exactly, and I, I think that's the joy of it is it's, it's Star Trek back. I mean, we've been in the wilderness for so long, and it's so good to have have Star Trek to discuss and debate, and whether you think it's great or not or whatever. I mean, CBS have put their money where their mouth is. Like the production quality of this episode, and really all the episodes to date so far have been really fantastic. And you know, we've got a top end cast, and it feels like it's an exciting time to be a Star Trek fan. And, I was seeing it last week when they announced the the Michelle Yeoh-led Section 31 show that, you know, regardless of where the shows, and I'm not comparing any of the shows, the period we're about to enter could be potentially more exciting than the kind of the mid-90s peak when with things like Generations and First Contact, Next Generation had just come off the air, we had Deep Space Nine sort of peaking, we had Voyager about to kind of start. You know, I feel like we're getting to that stage again, which is kind of unbelievable to me when you think about, you know, what, 11 12 years ago or you know further than actually longer than that when enterprise went off the air and we had nemesis and and an empty cinema really like this is something to celebrate yeah and it feels like we'll have more star trek than even i can keep up with in the near future uh, but everything they're doing seems different as well so it's not just variations of crew on a ship it's you know the whatever the picard show turns out to be uh, the Michelle Yeoh thing, which will certainly be a, a look into a different side of the universe that we might not have seen before. This Lower Decks animated thing fascinates me. I like the idea of the least important people on the least important ship. Just this, you know, what what do people do all day? What do people do every day? And, you know, uh, I always like these kind of flip perspectives thing. The Lower Decks episode is one of my favourite episodes of TNG. 
and I think that uh, it's just a testament to the style of it so I'd like the idea of there's meetings going on and the crew don't see it because they're not important enough to be in those meetings and they just get kind of some out of context order at the end of it because that was what was decided in the room when they weren't there so I'm amped for that and whatever else they've got on their plate whatever else they've got planned will be will be interesting as well I'm trusting the the creative team here as opposed to just more of the same which is what you got with Enterprise until they changed the the writing staff yeah exactly and I think that like yeah it's exciting we've got all this thing and I think I remembered when sort of discoveries come along they were sort of going to say they were saying it was like yeah it's kind of a bit of a lower deck style thing we're going to have a lead character that isn't the captain and then it kind of hasn't really lived up to perhaps that ambition but i think that animated series perhaps will lend itself a little bit better to that maybe the sort of shorter storytelling form something a bit more comedic i think will will do really well with it yeah on that i think we should go to black alert and really dig into this if you have no objections yeah punch it black alert black alert okay first up we'll do our uh, question and answer section uh, i only have one question only one person decided to ask a question Plenty of people gave their opinions on my review, so thanks for that if any of you are listening. But the one question is from Mike, who asks, Do you think this season will end with Pike's famous accident that puts him in his chair that doesn't help him communicate at all? My guess is no, because, well, chronologically, it's a little bit before that. This is set after the cage, but there's still a few years until then. Um, Although, you can guess, change that, because... I don't think the year it happened was ever canonically stated. So, But I don't think it'll end like that because it feels like it would be a bit of a downer when this season seems to be a bit more um, gung-ho and optimistic. So far, anyway. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. I think if Discovery goes seven years, five years, whatever, how many lengths of seasons that's going to go... You don't get rid of someone perhaps like Anson Mount kind of so quickly. I think he'll be someone that will exit stage left, but I think he'll be. Um, I think he'll be someone that will have perhaps in the background and um, perhaps a recurring character through the series that we might dip into once in a while and you know maybe have some adventures together. I I, th- I don't think we're going to get to that stage yet. No, no. Um, I don't, I kind of don't want to see it because there can be too much fan service sometimes, and it, you know I think it would be uncomfortable to try and solve the problem of the the chair. What would his chair be like? And why would they put him in it at this point, you know, with the one beep thing? Because they've surely got to have better tech than that. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, it would be curious to see how they would give it the discovery twist. But I wouldn't rule it out happening at some point in the series, but certainly not within the next year. Yeah, I agree. So that's the end of our QA section. Um, so let's kind of start with characters. I mean, we'll touch on various little bits here and there, but... Um, the most obvious place to start is Michael, where we're uh, playing around with her family dynamic in a, a much more, um, much deeper way than, than last season, because last season was very much about a relationship with Sarek, with a bit of Amanda in there. And now you've got kind of Spock, so you see them first meet in flashbacks. You see that there's uh, not, a lot of, uh, not a lot of love in that relationship, which there wouldn't be because Spock is, well, not very emotional. But um, So what did you think of that, how the way they built that and, and the kind of the mystery of why they are so separated and what do they need to do to get to that point where they're 
you know, where I, they bury the hatchet, so to speak. Yeah, I'm curious to see where this this hole goes, and I think it's sort of been inevitable that something like this was going to happen from from day one when they announced that she was sort of Spock's half sister, half sister, and like, oh, why hasn't this been mentioned before? I mean, I, I didn't really care about that to be honest, and um, you know, there's there's always a get out of these sorts of things. So, um, yeah, I think it was an interesting start, but again, it's it's one of those ones. It sort of starts off, it teases a bit with a little younger Spock, and you know her apprehension, excitement, nervousness when uh, Spock's potentially beaming over. Again, it's something it starts, but I don't really know perhaps where it's going to go. And I'm curious to see again what they kind of do with this one. And I think, you know, it's bold of them to introduce Spock. Um, You know, they didn't have to do that at this stage of the the show, or if at all, really, to be honest. Um, So I, I feel that if they're doing it, they're doing it for the right reasons, and I'm I'm curious to see how they're going to add to the spot character over the the kind of coming episodes. It kind of bothered me at first when they announced that she was Spock's half sister, but then you know the when the way the execution of it was was fine, and if you think about it, Spock doesn't mention who his father is until he turns up in the original series. So, you know, the fact that he would never mention the fact that he has a half sister shouldn't, or an adopted sister shouldn't really factor in. You know, it's just not what he does. He didn't mention Cyborg until they bumped into him. Uh, although, is that still canon? Who knows? Um, oh, that's certainly. 100% canon. <laughs> he certainly wasn't there, Cyborg. He wasn't kicking about uh, in the house. But, you know, maybe he was in his room. Uh, maybe we'll see Cyborg. Wouldn't that be cool? Maybe not. I expect we're going to get him at some point in the series. Yeah, because he's probably someone they could use more liberally because you have no idea what he's up to at this point. So, uh, whereas with Spock, his career is very much mapped out, uh, apart from this part, I guess. Uh, I like the the angle of them being not one big happily family. The fact that uh, Spock is essentially jealous of um, this newcomer to his family who takes his mother's affection and uh, who his father all, well, seems to favour, I guess, from his perspective. I mean, I know that jealousy is not logical, but he's a kid. He's going to be jealous. You know the the scene where he looks up, looks over at his mum, reading the story to Michael, and just kind of the fact that he's not part of that, even though he so easily could be. It's almost like he's fighting. It's the beginning of him fighting his nature, his Vulcan nature versus his human nature. So that's that's interesting to me, and I think we'll get to see a more cage style Spock, where he's a bit more emotional when he's introduced. Yeah, I think we'll definitely see that. I mean, it kind of fits in with what we saw of Spock and sort of the, the young baby Spock in sort of the, the Kelvin timeline and the Spock in Yesteryear in the animated series. It feels all very consistent. This is a pretty conflicted young child and I think it'll be interesting to to kind of learn a bit more about that kind of childhood and, and what led him to become the sort of Spock and the more repressed Spock that we kind of knew in those, those early years. Yeah, and it's a nice touch to connect the mystery surrounding where Spock is to the the central plot mystery because then it's it doesn't divorce them, it keeps everything focused on all the characters. So as the in theory as the main plot progresses, the character story should progress and that's that's how it should work because otherwise it's it is just the heading places and scanning stuff sort of plotting which may not be that interesting on its own. Yeah, exactly. Like, and I think that's it's just modern storytelling now, isn't it? That you have a, a big um 
bench of characters. You have something to tie that gets you hooked in through the season. You know, gone are the days where Star Trek Next Generation would be shown perhaps out of order at crazy times of the night. It's it's kind of aimed at that binge watching audience where you watch an episode like this and go, well, I've just I've literally watched the hour of something starting. I haven't seen sort of the next part, and it keeps you kind of hooked in as a, opposed to sort of that traditional storytelling, the beginning, middle, and ending. Now it's these things are sort of a one long story and then it's sort of compacted into an hour yeah and um yeah and i think it enhances the michael sarek relationship as well because the you always get these little bits and pieces about why sarek does things you know it doesn't seem to make any sense until he sort of explains it you get it in the original series when it's you know why did you marry my mother because it seemed like the logical thing to do at the time and uh, later on you know, he, he sort of comes to favour Kirk because he recognises the friendship and things like that. But the uh, the idea that he brings Michael in to help Spock learn empathy because he doesn't get that from his mother because he has too much reverence for her, which feels a bit weird uh, as a reason. But uh, it sort of makes sense as to, I guess, as a almost as a social experiment on Sarek's part to adopt this child to sort of help his son be a better person or a deeper person. Yeah, I, I, I personally quite like Sarek in this um, this show as well, and I'm cute. It's it's good learning sort of a bit more about Sarek. He was always a character I really enjoyed in the small bits that we got of him in sort of TNG uh, original series and some of the movies. I think he's a fantastic character, and I'm really glad. I remember when it was announced that he was going to be kind of part of this this kind of shindig. I was really over the moon, so I think he's he's doing really well with it. And James Frain is is excellent in the role as well. I, yeah, yeah. I could watch him all day as Sarek. Not so much the whoever it was in the two thousand nine movie. He wasn't so good, but uh, James Frain seems to be pretty, pretty close to Mark Leonard in terms of gravitas. Yeah, I, I think so, and I, I remember James Frain from, I suppose, like his uh, his wife as well. He was a, a bit of a twenty four uh, guest star back in the day. Uh, he was Audrey Reigns' husband. I thought he was, he was really good. I, I think he's he's. A really good actor, and I think he's in is in Gotham as well. Is he? I, I know season, you'd you'd be better suited to that question. Two, which is when I was still watching it. Yeah, he was in that. Uh, everybody thought it was going to be Rachel Ghoul and spoiler, he wasn't. Ah. But, <laughs> but no, he was good in that too. I think uh, Gotham's problem isn't the cast; it's so many other things. Although I haven't watched it in like four years, so who knows? Uh, that's not relevant. So. Uh, we've got Captain Pike, uh, our guest captain. You know, you've got to wonder about this. Whoever discoveries real captain is, he's just sitting there on Vulcan checking his watch. I'm like, where are they? He's <laughs> yeah. got to be pretty frustrating for him. It's like waiting on the bus. It's like, where is it? It's not It's not here yet. They, so Pike, he rushes in, takes command because Starfleet told him to because his ship breaks. And then he takes Discovery on an adventure. And I think right from that first this first line, you know, which is the line you see in the trailer as well, the, you know, where he's like, right, I'm here to take command, um, deal with it, and then I think from there he just sort of, he shows his approachability, he shows how different he is to Lorca, which is key because we don't want a repeat of that. Not that it wouldn't, he wasn't good, it's just, you know, if you're going to have a new captain, he can't be the same. Uh, so, what did you think of him, like based on his introduction? Oh yeah, I was I was all on board for this. I think the 
kind of pre-publicity um, kind of trailers and photos and I think you know Anson Mount himself on sort of social media he just seems like such a great guy and I think there's a bit where you sort of think there's a bit of a disconnect between this guy and what we maybe saw a few years earlier in what would have been the cage but then you think post cage he's been kind of reinvigorated he's kind of full of beans new kind of kind of brought to life and he feels like a kind of pikey kind of Kirk style character he's he's a bit of a swashbuckler he's he is an inspiring figure and I, I love the thing where it's like right round the room if we're going into this thing I want to know all your names and so yeah. on and you know when you see him with all his achievements on the back and he just seems like such a personable guy and he, you immediately get the impression of like yeah I would follow that guy into combat yeah whatever he says and I like the way the kind of the crew look at him and you know he's certainly not without his failings I mean the the moment where he kind of snaps at Michael where she's she's maybe being a bit negative she's saying this is the situation we're going to go into and then he's like right we're not leaving anyone behind so that she's like well actually I was just getting to that bit as well uh, I thought that was good it kind of makes him um, you know not unf- uh, unfailable yeah Although his um, his approach to I don't mind dissenting opinions as long as they come with solutions is a bit bizarre because not every problem will have a solution and it's worth that someone raises it to him. Um, I don't know. But he's not a perfect leader and neither he should be because perfection's boring. You know, there's no point in... Watching. Gene Roddenberry's rolling in his grave at that comment. <laughs> yeah, but he, you know... Uh, a bunch of TV writers who were working on Star Trek were like, how do we write these things? We're not allowed to put any flaws in these characters. We're, what What are they doing? They're just sitting around being perfect, getting into adventures somehow. But uh, no, I think um, for Pike, it's not his crew. So he has, to, he has to learn how they work. He has to learn their rhythms. He has to earn their trust, even though he can tell them what to do if, he, if they don't trust him. If they don't respect him, then they won't get much done and they won't they won't be as effective. So right early on, he's like, look, here's my service record. Oh, look, there's a failing grade. I'm just like you. I fail at stuff. You know, I'm not perfect. And uh, when he says later, um, I like my ready room to be a place where people can come and have a chat and sit down. You know, the key thing is sitting down. Because um, Lorca didn't like people to sit in his ready room, not even himself. But uh, yeah, he's great. And I think it's lives up to the promise of kind of everything you hear about Pike and I've read a few tie-in novels that are about the Jeffrey Hunter version of the character and he, he sort of fits that model of Pike and I think Anson Mount's enthusiasm comes through as well although his enthusiasm is, is always infectious even when he was on Inhumans which is a show he'd probably like to forget uh, I remember on Twitter no one ever watched that show so he doesn't need to worry I did I watched all of it well there's someone <laughs> yeah one person I didn't like it, but I watched it. But his Twitter bio had the, the three dots, you know, because it was silence, he couldn't say anything. So that was, you know, it's just kind of him throwing himself into it. And uh, yeah, I think he's been, he's a great catch for the franchise. He looks like Jeffrey Hunter as well, a little bit. Which, you know, is not necessary, but it helps. He is definitely a very good looking man. He's 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 <laughs> definitely a bit hotter than Bruce Greenwood. Just just a tad, I'm sure. Yeah, I just thought Bruce Greenwood was a little bit old for, for Pike, especially at that point. I mean he was great, but a little bit old. Yeah, and I suppose it is a few years ahead of where we are just now. And yeah. um I, I did like Bruce Greenwood as sort of the, the kind of mentor figure. I thought he was was particularly good. But um yeah, I, I liked him and he he certainly looks good in that gold command outfit. That he only wears ever so briefly. Yes, but God, it looks good. (laughs) They made all those outfits and they'll hardly get to use them. (laughs) Unless the Discovery crew changed to them at some point. 
I, I wouldn't be surprised. So the and we had a bit from the sort of side characters. You've got Tilly who's drunk on power, which I thought was really funny. And now she's an ensign and she can, well, she can take labs off people that don't need them and, and things like that. I thought uh, that thought was good. And and how upset she was when Stamets said he was leaving. Um, I think she's definitely the heart of the show, and I think that it's good that they've preserved that. Yeah, I think she she was definitely one of the strong points of season season one. I mean, between all these characters, depressed, living in fear and death and despair, kind of Tilly kept it all kind of kind of. She was she was the fan sort of in this show, and you always need a character like that. And I thought she was she was certainly excellent. Yeah, uh, someone said that she was Wesley Crusher done right. Which I'm not entirely sure is accurate, but I think it's quite funny. Yeah, I can sort of see where they're coming from with that. Yeah. Uh, and Stamets, of course, leaving. It's it's clearly a, you know, he's just saying that for now. He won't actually be going anywhere. Which I'm kind of, that, those kind of fake outs are all, are all too common in Star Trek. It's usually on a season finale or something, isn't it? Where mm-hmm. It's like, oh no, Worf's leaving. And then by the end of the next episode, oh look, he's back, it's fine. Uh, so I feel like they're kind of trying to do that. Although I wonder if the the more science based focus of the show will reinvigorate him in some way, and he'll get, you know, he'll be interested in being back on the ship because this the war the warship discovery wasn't for him. That was established early on. Yeah, and I suspect this big meteorite or asteroid that they've got in the back of the hull now. I think that'll certainly um, certainly bring him into uh, kind of back into the fold. Yeah. And they still don't have, I mean, a chief engineer, so... I mean, I don't think that'll be him, because he has a very specific focus, but the, it's weird that we haven't even met or have mention of a chief engineer. Oh, uh, maybe. I think we just maybe met her in this episode. I hope so. I think uh, Jet was, was really good. Uh, I like her kind of... She's almost like a cross between Scotty and McCoy. You know, she's kind of brash, but also a genius. Yeah, I thought she was she was really good in this. I I'm excited. I have a feeling she's not just in this for like a five minute piece. I think she's going to be our new chief engineer. Yeah, which kind of references Lorca's ability to just pick up waifs and strays and yeah. positions of uh, influence on his ship. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, hopefully she's not like a Klingon agent. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah, or a Romulan agent. You know why not? Still. Oh God, I know. I think I think we're going to be lucky and we're going to get a break from that. Yeah. Uh, so what did you think of the the red burst story? Uh, I mean, I mentioned in the spoiler-free section that you don't really know anything yet. There's nothing. Nothing actually happened. You kind of answered my, my. You kind of gave my answer there. Really, it's something I'm interested about. I like the imagery that when kind of Burnham sees it, and I like when we sort of see it in the credits again. I come back to me in a few weeks and I can give you a, give you a strong opinion on where this goes and anything again it's like ooh that's interesting I'm very curious you've got my attention it's I remember when it was sort of teased in the first trailer like months ago and it was like ooh it's definitely going to be that kind of season it's going to be a bit of an adventure it's going to be some science it's going to be some discovery I'm curious to see what it is and what it's all about and where they go with this what I imagine will be over the first half of the season or the full season and I think there's going to be some form of mythology versus science debate, or explaining mythology through science. So the you know the red angel thing that's obviously a, a mythological being. So there'll be some explanation as to what that is, and they might explore why it became myth on certain planets or whatever else. So I think we'll need to see, I guess some some kind of uh, species that deify this red angel thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious, and, and it's certainly they've not really alluded to much, or we know people, certain characters are coming back this season, but this one seems to be a bit of a plot line they've kept quite quite under wraps. 
yeah, and I think they're they're pretty good at that. Um, I hate it when everything's spoiled before I watch something, and you know, you get a casting announcement or you get notification that someone's returning. I mean, the, there's, I mean, we're in the spoiler section, so I guess a lot of people know that Culver will be back because he's in the main cast for the um, for the season. Although they don't know what form that'll take or how he'll be back or if he will actually be back. Uh, or whether he'll just kind of appear in visions from Stamets, or, or whether he'll actually be physically there, it's it's unknown. And we know we're going to get Tyler slash Volk coming back, uh, and Giorgio obviously. So it'd be interesting to see how these things tie in, um, and what use the Klingons are now that there's no war as well. I remembered when it was sort of announced when you'd have sort of the, it was like oh you have Sarek and the Klingons and you know as a sort of regular character recurring characters and stuff like I always had this image of like three different kind of plot lines all sort of unfolding and they overlap and bend and stuff and I think that we could see a bit more of that kind of this year where you know we have the action on Discovery but we also have what's going on sort of the Klingon Empire and how it all kind of kind of comes together I think yeah because I don't think Lorel can be Chancellor for very long. Um, just based on the way the Klingon Empire goes that we see in the original series and stuff so I I wonder if she will be accepted because her entire political platform is I can blow up the planet at any minute so you have to follow me so I wonder if if there'll be some kind of coup attempt against her because of that yeah, you, you can certainly never bet on who's going to stay atop of the, the chair for long. But, you know, the Klingons can be traditional. You think of some of the, the chancellors that we've seen in Star Trek before. You know, they, they you know death eventually does come to them one way or another, but they can they tend to solidify power for quite a while. So it'll be curious to see if Lorel manages to do the same. Yeah, couldn't get rid of Gowron. No. For a long time. Uh, and then Martok, you don't know. Unless you play video games, you don't know what happens to him, really what happens to him in the video games as someone that I read the comic books I watch the TV shows and the films don't bother with the other medium oh, he, just, um, he just remains Chancellor for a bit the last appearance that I know of was in Star Trek Armada 2 where he, you know it's probably not canon because you can build a sovereign class ship in five minutes but mm. you know or less uh, so he's just kind of there it's because I guess J.G. Hertzler quite cheap and they can get his voice cheap enough I don't know yeah, he is a voiceover artist as well, and yeah. I think he got found out doing sort of treasure. Uh, it's in that Star Trek Deep Space Nine documentary that's going to come out eventually. I've been lucky enough to see it, and um, they talk about how he got hired, and it, it was because he was like he was doing like a pirate impression at uh, Treasure Island in Las Vegas, <laughs> and uh, Iris Stephen Beer saw and went, "Huh, I want that." <laughs> yeah, I pledged him for that documentary. I'm still waiting for a release date. Oh, it's it's well worth the wait. I was lucky to see it in a in a cinema screen last year, and it's oh my god, you're you're in for a treat when it comes. Although they're still remastering some of the clips that they want to use, aren't they? they were, yeah, yeah, the only HD clips I got to see at the time was sort of uh, from the Dominion uh, Federation battle from Sacrifice of the Angels, and oh my god, it's going to look great on a Blu-ray, but imagine that on a big screen. Holy hell! Yeah, I'm hoping that some local cinema will screen it for one night or something. Hopefully, hopefully. Yeah, tweet the cameo until they. Everybody listening, tweet the cameo and make them do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm I'm up for that. The events of this episode were, I mean, even though nothing really happened, I think they were still exciting enough. I quite like the, essentially they blunder into a rescue mission, which is very Star Trek. You know, you approach a situation. Oh God, there's a distress call. Let's uh, let's see what's happening here, and then 
Um, it seems that in the modern Star Trek era, uh, extreme sports, it's the only way to get from one place to another uh, when both are kind of dangerous. I mean, the this whatever it was, the landing pods or whatever they were called, it sort of reminded me of the two sequences, one from Star Trek 2009, the other from Into Darkness, where, mm-hmm. you know, they were... I couldn't use the transporter for whatever reason. Yeah, I, I definitely got that impression as well. And I thought the sound design was quite interesting as well. It sounded like Formula One racing, which was pretty cool. Yeah, and it was it was exciting. I mean, it was maybe kind of dumb. Um, why didn't they travel slower, for example? But uh, it was one of those things. But I love that you can have an exciting action sequence these days without it resorting to combat. I mean, the thing about Star Trek is it was never really about violence. And then at some point... They decided that space battles were cool, so let's throw them in. And you know, you couldn't have an episode of Voyager before they were lobbing phasers at someone. Mm. Um, so it's good that they're focusing a bit more on how can we make some creative sequences involving the technology and the situations. They kind of did that last season towards the end when you had that that spore planet, you know, where they were encouraging the spores to grow, and it was this really expensive, really slick looking sequence that was had nothing to do with two ships fighting each other. Yeah, I was like that. And I, I think we'll, we'll certainly see more of that probably uh, kind of this year. I mean, we didn't really see anything <laughs> shooting or blowing up this year. And it was, I think that seems to be more kind of the season. This is going to be the the year of discovery. I mean, they kind of got us all in last year with the, the big like, adventure, the war. You know, that, that's probably how you get kind of mainstream TV audiences in. And then now that they've kind of got them in, it's like, hey, we're now can I get, we've got you on a science and geeky show. I mean, they, they're celebrating maths and so on yeah. in this episode. Episode. so um i think that's kind of where we're going to go but i i don't certainly doubt that we're going to see some things go boom in this uh this season too yeah and i liked that it subverted the red shirt trope like yes the blue shirt that was that was a nice little touch plus <laughs> i'm not saying that he deserved it but he was kind of a dick yes he was yeah i saw a really good meme where it was like it said mansplaining and then you see him just explode and stuff and i mean he you knew he was just there for the chop when uh, uh, he wasn't listening i always don't like this thing where you introduce a character just to be the contrarian to another character because (laughs) we already know how impressive michael is and how smart she is and you don't really need someone sort of undermining her standing there to to prove that although i quite like the you know it's a metaphor it's like actually it's a simile (laughs) yeah um, but yeah, that Con- Connolly, I think his name was. Uh, yeah, yeah, I wasn't a fan. But uh, and Pike didn't seem that bothered about his science officer being killed. He's like the work experience guy, while Spock's not around. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think we were, you know, I think he all got what he deserved in that one. Yeah, and then the um, the introduction of Jet, as we've touched on, was really good. I think uh, it, this episode's really weird in that you don't spend a lot of time on anything. It's like they get in make their point and then get out which is is good in a way although i might have liked to spend a bit more time just i don't know sciencing about on on the derelict ship that might have been quite fun i did enjoy sort of the science element of how they kept all these people alive and i thought that was pretty good yeah and then the we'll rig up pattern enhancers but we'll also use the transporter and all this tech stuff flying about and i suppose it is refreshing that they don't have a five minute conversation on how the pattern buffers work and all this kind of stuff because you don't really need that you know the characters should all know this information yeah exactly but i suppose you've just you've got to assume right people are dropping into season two perhaps for the first time and um you know how, how do you kind of treat them do you treat them as if they're going to know everything or do you sort of explain things out and it, you know on a grand level i would be like oh just just 
go with it you know it doesn't matter but i suppose you've just got to be conscious of perhaps the the audience that star trek isn't just for for nerds like us now it's you know (laughs) people that i would never in a million years have thought would watch these things talk about these things care about these things are are engaging with it yeah what did you think of the um, michael's vision i mean people have commented that the fact that pike runs in front of it suggests that i don't know he's connected to that in some way i don't think that's the case although and it's a very specific thing for michael to just hallucinate I'm going to shock you. You'll have to get back to me perhaps in a few episodes <laughs> on that one. Um, I, I enjoyed the vision. Theories. <laughs> no, I enjoyed the, the vision thing. And I, I never kind of got the impression that he might be connected to it, which, you know, maybe he could. But I suppose the fact that he does have a larger role to play in the Star Trek to come, you know, whether he's involved or not. I don't know. I suppose that's the thing when you do a bit of a prequel sometimes and you've got a kind of character, you you know where their fate's going to go and it makes you maybe doubt things or yeah. it kills a theory perhaps. So I'm, I'm not too sure. Yeah, I think the only bit of Pike foreshadowing I really picked up on was the fortune. Yes. Yeah, where it suggested that, you know, the cage that he was in will end up not being a cage for him as such. Yeah, well, I suppose that's already happened for him as well. And yeah, I thought that was a little on the nose, but yeah, it was fine. And apparently no one's hoovered Lorca's quarters in months. No, exactly. That's that's, that's poor planning there. But hey, maybe they were just like, you just left it. Yeah. Uh, some people have suggested it might uh, foreshadow Lorca's return in some way. I don't think so. I think if they were going to do that, they would have done more than a piece of paper on the floor. Mm-hmm. But we shall see maybe we'll come back maybe we'll get the prime version of Lorca who knows yeah I think I'm expecting that at some point down the line yeah when we're on season 8 and running out of ideas yes absolutely prime Lorca now (laughs) Jason Isaacs is free again yeah I was actually surprised at how little the Enterprise was used I get the impression that whoever wrote that the Enterprise's appearance at the last end of the last season um, had no idea what they were planning to do with it it was just one of those let's chuck this in because we can uh, and we'll figure out something later. And this is, you know, it's classic Star Trek as well. You write the first part without knowing the second part. But then, it, from the start of this, they had no idea what they were doing So they, with the Enterprise. So they just pick up Pike and then they leave. And then, at the end, she visits the Enterprise and you see Spock's quarters, which, you know, has some nice fan service in there with the, the door sound, uh, little Easter eggs like his three-dimensional chess set, um, his Vulcan lyre. Uh, I think that was it. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see where where it kind of goes. I'm I'm curious. I think we'll see certainly more of the Enterprise because we certainly we haven't seen number one yet. We know she's to appear, um, so I'm, I think we'll sort of see a bit more of the Enterprise in in episode two. You think it'll be as soon as that? Yeah, I think so. I think well, the fact that she's already on the Enterprise, they're going to have to leave the Enterprise to go off on a mission very shortly. So I suspect we're going to going to get that in kind of the next episode or so that's my my theory i guess i kind of assume that the next episode would pick up like a few days later or something like that maybe it will maybe it will be a straight sequel in effect where they'll just um where they'll set off but uh, there's been no chat about them building the bridge set or anything like that i think if they were to build the bridge set would have seen it by now yeah they maybe not see the bridge but we'll definitely see something maybe the kind of wreck room or something like that yeah i think it'd be more likely that um number one or whoever will visit discovery rather than seeing it on the Enterprise yeah. I think. but then you might get the team up episode that we've all been looking for exactly uh, later t- in the season once they fix the damn thing yeah the poor broken Enterprise <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm curious about that yeah well it seems connected to the red bursts in some way mm-hmm. 
I mean, because it happened at exactly the same time, so that's yeah. Yeah, I just don't know. It seems like it kind of mentioned oh, it's been damaged, and it's like I think I know they're doing a the Enterprise War or something. That's a bit coming out, kind of what oh, the Enterprise yeah, is up yeah. to while it was away. So I'm sure there'll be some explanation. It just seems odd. I was like, oh, like it's damaged, but we're not really acknowledging why it's been damaged. It's it's yeah. I don't get it. Uh, and I quite like the idea of um, Pike being a bit. Uh, upset about the fact that he had to sit the war out because he had no he had no control over the events. It means that whatever would happen would happen without his or his crew's intervention. And they were told to just yeah, just stay out there scanning stuff, and we'll you know we'll continue fighting the Klingons. It's fine. There might not be a Federation to come back to, but um, might be okay. You know, you'll be okay out there. Yeah, I'm going to definitely. I will probably read the Memory Alpha summary of that Enterprise War book when it when it comes out. But I'm I'm, I'm interested to find out what its reasoning was for for being outside of the war and um, yeah, sort of what they were were up to and perhaps explaining why it's such a, a damaged ship as we we meet it now. Yeah, well, the suggestion is that they were too far away at that point, but then they were close enough at the end of last season, so. I guess we're going to... Once again, we will find out in the future. Get back to us. Yeah, half a dozen episodes from now, we'll, we'll know the answer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but I thought the, the interior of the Enterprise, from what we saw of it, was nicely updated. I quite mm-hmm. like the circular grating thing uh, effect in the background. Yeah. It's just a, it's a nice little... Um, it's just a nice little nod to what came before. I think, uh, obviously, the design aesthetic will be updated somewhat. I don't think it'll be quite so sleek and shiny as the um, the 2009 film Bridge. No, it's not going to look like an Apple store. No, but I think it'll be it'll be somewhere in between that and the original series Bridge. Yes. Yeah, so I mean, I'm, I've no problem with that. I think it's I think updating these things is nice and yeah, I think it's, it's I'll have faith in the production team to kind of put enough recognisable elements in there to mm-hmm. keep me happy. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that one. Yeah. So, I don't think I've got much else to say on the first episode. I mean, it's it's got me excited for season two. Uh, I can't wait to see more of it. It's one of those things where, I mean, usually I'm not a sort of binge sort of guy, but because, I don't know, it's just finding the time to do it. And when I review the stuff, I hate reviewing full seasons of stuff. Mm -hmm. It's just so difficult. But the... um, when that episode ended, I was like, oh, I want to see the next one. Why don't we release them all at once? And I never quite felt like that during season one, actually. I, I like having it one at a time because it, it feels like that's a bit of traditional Trek really for me that you get to enjoy the episodes, you get to talk about it and you can think about it and it's like, oh, what's the next one going to be? You can, you watch trailer for the next one, you know, what's what's that on YouTube? And oh, that's the next episode. You get to think about it and kind of deal with it and, you know, considering we grew up in an era where, you know, you had it months after on Sky or you had to wait forever for the VHS, I think it's uh, pretty awesome that we've got... Um, got it kind of once a week still i'm glad i don't want it to ever be bingeable i mean i'd love it if it was but i don't want it to be yeah um yeah vhs was how i experienced it early on yes once a month the videotapes yeah well as i say episodes on them yeah i've got my collection of vhs covers and uh, my twitter account dedicated to that so you're always welcome to to check that out I'll need to put that in the show notes as well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I was actually thinking that years ago. I was thinking, you know, the, most people will have just chuck those videos out because they're obsolete because they're videos. Mm. But they did have bespoke artwork on every single Oh, one. yeah. And I like to, I've got hundreds of those covers, hundreds of them, uh, all preserved and stuff. Oh, that's good. It's not, uh, it's not gone with 
it's not been lost to the annals of history no I, I collected them all from eBay and haggled and got them all and then scanned hundreds and hundreds of covers and and then I, I shared them with Trek Core so you can find like hundreds of the covers there so you know even if I just end up closing my Twitter account or it gets banned for some sort of abuse or something there's always going to be somewhere that you can access these covers Paramount issue a copyright claim on obsolete VHS yeah exactly yeah can imagine i feel like that's something they would do uh hopefully not hopefully not you know stick to axanar and things like that leave my twitter <laughs> feed alone yeah let's not get on to axanar that'd be a loaded a loaded <laughs> conversation uh so as a kind of final thing what are your hopes for the season and do you have any predictions other than come back to me next um, month i don't know i'm kind of I think sometimes that I used to host a, a kind of Star Trek podcast and I would, you know, it was always talking about things and predicting things and you know, I would get so caught up in and kind of over the years with, with film and TV, I've tried not to get caught up in what's the next episode, what's going to be the, this big thing for the season. And I like sometimes hearing other people's thoughts and opinions, but I try not to make my own. I just try and kind of go in and go, right, surprise me this week, catch me off guard and, um, you know, when I was younger, I used to just throw myself into these things, read the spoilers for 24 episodes that weren't out for weeks, yeah, and all these sorts of things. And I don't have much on the predictions because I'm trying not to think about it. I'm just, I expect it to be an enjoyable show, to be quite exciting. I like being able to discuss it and, you know, like with a conversation like this with yourself, Craig. But I, I'm not going to make any predictions because I've not really thought that far ahead. I'm like, this is going to be interesting. I'm curious to see where this will go. And you know, surprise me. And that's all I asked from a Star Trek show. I, I waited years and thought, oh, I wonder what a Star Trek series could be like. I wonder if it could be like this and does this, 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 and this. Just, yeah, well, let's surprise me. Let's go and let's, as Pike says, let's have some fun. If it ruffles my feathers along the way, then that's doing a good job. And, and you know, I can always, you know, speculate some other time, but I know that's a bit boring, but that, that's just <laughs> who I've become, to be honest. Yeah. Well, as someone that reviews the show, I'm kind of hardwired to do a bit of speculation, you know, I think, oh, this this conversation will be important later, this little detail will be important later, and then, you know, it's good that I can read back and see if I was right. Sometimes I am, sometimes I'm not. Yeah. I think this is the first Star Trek show where you could really chuck in sort of predictions, you know, because it wasn't always clear if anything was going to be, be important ever. I mean, if you watch Voyager, the characters don't remember what they did last week, so why should no. they? You know, so uh, Deep Space Nine, there was kind of the... Oh, what do you think the cot's plan is, or what will the what will the end result of the war be, or you know, will everybody make it out alive? That kind of stuff. And I think to a lesser extent you could do that with DS9, but still they kind of were that halfway house between episodic mm-hmm. and serialized because it was the nineties and you couldn't really dip your toe too far in the water in that respect. Um TNG you couldn't really predict anything unless it was one of the two parters. It's like, how will they save Picard from the Borg? Who knows? Mm. You know, will Worf come back after join the Klingons and it's like well of course he will because you know no, the, by the end of each episode the status quo is restored because that's because it has to be uh, syndicated and you know you have to be able to watch any episode and, and jump into it but um, so this is the first Star Trek show where you can actually do that and I quite like that and almost none of my predictions came true in the first season well I think things like destroying the ISS Discovery off screen and, and dealing with certain things just by hand waving them away was 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 a mistake that they made because they robbed the show of some drama that way. So I hope they don't do that this season. I hope that you get some sort of satisfying payoff to what they're trying to set up. 
Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think we're 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 in good hands for the year, and uh, let's let's go boldly. Yeah. So, thank you very much for guesting on the the podcast. We've been talking about it for a while, so uh, it's been good to have you on. Good to talk Star Trek. I mean, I could talk about it for days, um, which is, if, I suppose, if you add up the time spent talking about Star Trek on this podcast, probably have talked. About yeah. Things. But the. Yeah, it's, it's great having it back, and it's great to have a chat about it. I mean, wouldn't be doing a weekly podcast, because that would kill me. It would actually kill me. But um, we'll perhaps come back at the end of the season, and you'll be most welcome on that episode. Yeah, come in. I'm always keen to, keen to come on. It makes a change from talking about pretentious independent movies, I suppose. <laughs> well, it could be pretentious Star Trek. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. So... Um, now that your podcast is repaired, I'll be able to beam you back and you can oh, very good. your journey. So, uh, so thanks again for coming on. It was great having you. Yeah, live long and prosper, Craig. And you. Uh, or it's peace and long life is the, um, the normal response. <laughs> So, that was our discussion on the first episode of Star Trek Discovery Season 2, the episode titled Brother. Thanks to Lee for making a guest appearance on this podcast, and I'd also like to thank YouTubers Le Orchestra Cinematique and Gorkham Burke Ajar, please excuse my pronunciation, I've probably messed that up, for the supplied music. If you like what you heard, then hit that subscribe button in iTunes, YouTube, or any major podcasting app. iTunes users, please do leave a star rating and a comment to let us know you care. If you want to talk about this or anything else, you can contact us on Facebook or Twitter under Neil Before Blog, or leave comments on neilbeforeblog.co.uk. As always, I hope you'll join us on the next Neil Before Pod.